In this edition of the podcast, Last Love Loss, Australian Stories of Wartime Relationships, open now at the Shrine in Melbourne. We'll speak to the curator of the memorial site about the foundation of the exhibition, the work behind the scenes, and how the themes of separation, grief, exploitation, sexual freedom, oppression and sexual identity are examined. I'm Tim Stackpool and this is Inside the Gallery. Thanks for downloading the podcast once again, and as always, we acknowledge the original custodians of the land upon which this podcast is produced and listened to, and we pay our respects to all First Nations elders around the world, whether they be past, present or emerging. And thanks too to Pixel Perfect Pro Lab, whose support contributes to the transcripts of each episode, and you can hear more about their professional print services at pixelperfect.com.au. The complex issues surrounding matters of love and sex profoundly affect people everywhere and every day. Wartime is no exception. Indeed, the disruptive nature of war and the extraordinary situation it brings about inevitably magnify human experience in these areas. Extended periods of separation, loss, injury and trauma deeply affect relationships across the country during and after wartime. Divorce rates in Australia rose dramatically in the years immediately following both world wars and some 38% of Vietnam veterans' marriages failed within six months of their repatriation. But there were also moving tales of passionate romance, desire, and embracing sexuality. Sex itself can also be used as a weapon. Sexualized imagery has served as a pervasive recruitment tool and a way to undermine an enemy's morale. The first of three exhibitions in the Melbourne Shrine's Identity Series, Last Love Loss, Australian Stories of Wartime Relationships, display artworks and photographs that offer a unique insight into themes of separation, grief, exploitation, sexual freedom and oppression, and sexual identity. The exhibition delves deeply into the stories of individuals and couples with memorabilia and objects. And to tell us more about it, joining us on the line is the exhibition's curator, Neil Sharkey. Neil, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Tim. It's a pleasure to be here. You launched on December the 1st. Has it been going well? Yeah, look, we've been getting um, a steady stream of, of people coming through. Uh, we weren't able to have a, a big launch, unfortunately, because uh, there's just been so much uncertainty uh, coming out of uh, COVID lockdowns and so forth. So we've had what we refer to as a soft launch, mm. um, whereby we've you know opened the door and, and people are coming through and we're getting word out about the exhibition, you know, in different comms like what we're doing right here and now. Um, but we do have a lot of public programs and, you know, linked in with the exhibition mm. um, that mm. we – and we're hoping that we can leverage those to create a buzz that, you know, a launch would traditionally generate for us. Yes, so, yes. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, we're all being very adaptive in these times. So. <laughs> of course, of yeah. course. Now, the story and the title of your exhibition, Lust, Love and Loss, not something you would necessarily traditionally expect would be attached to a shrine of remembrance. When such an exhibition was first proposed, did you have any barriers thrown up saying, well, love and lust, you know, has got nothing to do with a memorial to those fallen in war? Did it take much to get this exhibition up? Uh, no, in the sense that, I think there was a good understanding from Shrine trustees, governors, uh, staff on down that 
love and relationships and human sexuality have had a profound impact on Australians during times of war. And so warfare has impacted upon those aspects of, of human life. And likewise, those aspects of human life, love and lust and sexuality and relationships, have actually had an effect on the way that this country has prosecuted wars, mm. in a sense. I mean, one of the items that we have on display is what uh, was referred to in the First and Second World Wars as a blue light outfit. So it's a... Uh, Neil, I think we've just lost you on the tie line. Can you just switch to the phone line? Yeah, yeah, sure, I can do that. Great, I've got you there. A bit of a technical change. Now, you were talking about the blue light outfit. Okay, uh, now what this was, was it, it was a little um, box filled with prophylactic creams for the prevention of what we now call sexually transmitted infections, but what were then referred to as VD. Uh, and we're primarily talking about syphilis and gonorrhea here. Now, these diseases were responsible for putting thousands and thousands of Australian soldiers out of action during both wars. So, so there was a real need for the military to come to terms with these very human conditions. Mm, mm. And these were standard issue, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, the blue lights they were set up for, they would set up little clinics that would be lit with a blue light out the front and so you knew where, where to go to pick up these, these creams and, you know, and other, I guess, you know, educational materials that would help keep you out of trouble with mm. the Mm, yes, I think I remember seeing a number of years ago some U.S. military educational films yes. uh, which were produced regarding the dangers of contracting VD oh, yeah. uh, while on, on active duty. And, and, you know, how, I mean, these, these diseases, of course, affect the brain as well. So Penicillin didn't come in in a big way until the late 40s. Mm. So the, mm. the, the treatments were very um, uh, extensive and involved all sorts of um, uh, I won't go into the details anyway, but it was best to be avoided. But I mean, you know, I mean, some soldiers were accused of intentionally contracting these diseases. These sorts of things lead to the next question, uh, Neil, which is how did you source this material? What direction did you take in order to compile all of this material? I firstly, I sat down and did a lot of reading and thinking and sort of distilling down the ideas as to the various ways in which these matters impact on war and the prosecution of it and a, a population at war and vice mm. versa. And then I stretched out to some of our partners, our important partners that have helped us in many of our exhibitions over the years and the Australian War Memorial was one of those. Right. And um, so I was able to secure the loan of 10 works by mostly Australian artists on these themes. And, you know, there's some really great stuff there. There's paintings by George Benson, Sidney Nolan, Clifton Pugh, Wendy Sharp, Peter Churcher, as well as some other things like some of the original posters from the war, um, you know, propaganda posters where, it, where sex is used as a way to, like, shame men into joining up. So that was an important source of some items that went on display. The shrine has its own collection, so lots of individual items from various servicemen and women from all of Australia's conflicts since the First World War. And also just in doing my job over the years, I guess, I've been here for 14 years and in that time I've just encountered, I've just met a lot of people and um, learned a story or been introduced to some items or objects or memorabilia and just stored them away in the back of my head until 
I was able to reach out to those families and, you know, request to, to loan them for this exhibition. So it's almost a, an exhibition 14 years in the making in a way. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose so if you look at it that way. Um, but, you know, I, I guess I could say the same for a lot of exhibitions that I've done in recent years. You know, they've, they've really they've benefited from just maybe being around the tracks for a while, I guess. Yeah, the longevity of your employment. So from when you got the green light to 1st of December when you launched, how, how long was that? It's, it's, it's been quite a while, actually. Um, I've had a whole extra year to mm. develop it mm. than what I normally would do. So I, oh, from go to one, maybe three years, I suppose. Wow. Yeah, so it has been, um, it's, been it, it's really been good, actually. I, I don't usually have that luxury for the, for the extra time. I mean, it was frustrating, of course, during all the... I'm sure a lot of people can relate to the to that, but yeah, um, yeah no, I think it's 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 borne good fruit. I think so it's just given me that little bit extra time to meditate on some of these ideas. And given the subject matter of this exhibition, lust, love, and loss, do you think you could have introduced this exhibition earlier within your 14-year tenure, or is now the right time for this sort of exhibition? Yeah, look, I suppose I could have perhaps tackled it earlier, but um, mm. I, I think like the extra time, it's like anything. You know, in life, the longer you've got to think on something, the longer you've got to become aware of of certain ways of looking at things in the world, um, it's mm. usually beneficial. And I think in recent years, maybe in the last couple of years, certainly, there's been a lot of thinking in this space, not just in this you know immediate space um, about you know love and relationships in wartime, but just love and relationships you know between people in general. Yes. And and a lot of those discussions um, have played into what we've done, I think. So yeah. uh, so I think that the exhibitions would have certainly benefited from that. Yeah. But in terms of you know somebody saying, oh, you know, I, I don't envision that I would have encountered anyone saying you can't do it if you know what I mean. I, I, yeah. But I think it now is a very timely. Now's a good time. Yes, that's what I was thinking. I mean, these issues of sexual freedom, oppression, sexual identity, they're all very modern issues and and one which we hear about and talk about in the news almost Mm. every day in various forms, good and and bad, mainly bad, I would say. because Because of the nature of them being commonplace, it kind of makes your exhibition at the moment timely. Mm. Whereas if we weren't in this period, say 10 years ago or so, it would have, I think it would have taken a lot more courage for you to move ahead and, and try and push this past your trustees or your board or whatever it is you need to do to get the, get the tick of approval. Sure. Uh, and, that, and that's why I well, asked the question. Hmm. Oh, well, I mean, sexual freedom, oppression, sexual identity, I mean, it's, it's perhaps new that we're talking about, <laughs> relatively new that we're talking about these things, but of course these things are, have, um, have always been an issue, I, I, I would posit. Um, hmm. You know, I mean, and look, I mean, the, the the wars of the 20th century in particular, I guess, you know, the, the, the two world wars, I mean, they really brought to the fore a lot of issues around sexuality that have been simmering in this country for a long time, you know, for decades even before that. So, and, and I think they were catalysts that helped shift, you know, attitudes further away from a lot of those old ideas about, you know, duty and procreation and sort of heading more into the sort of space of you know pleasure and self-realization and there were just a lot of complicated wartime relationships um you know people had to endure long separations they had to um, deal with infidelities Mm. abusive partners perhaps especially when those you know damaged people came home a lot of people were abandoned you know because they just drifted apart so much in that time 
Mm. You know, there were children born out of wedlock. There were, you know, husbands and and wives bringing sexually transmitted infections back into back, you know, you know, and infecting their partners. I mean, it just threw lives into turmoil. And I think, you know, if you can just sort of imagine all of those uh, those issues, you know, just a society's not going to be the same <laughs> then mm. as it was before. And I and I guess like things like Me Too, I guess uh, in 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 our modern world. Uh, you know, have been similar catalysts, but you know, mm. th- but there's there's always been these these big milestones and these these catalysts that have like driven the culture in a in a new direction. Look, I, I think it's 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 part of a continuum. It's it's timely, certainly, to, to do an exhibition of this type. But but again, a lot a lot of these issues are not are not as new as perhaps they might initially seem. I guess. Yeah. Part of the title of your exhibition says Australian Stories of Wartime Relationships, and you've been through the tough aspects, just rattled off a shopping list of them just mm-hmm. then. But have you uncovered some most remarkable stories of of long-term love as well that you're presenting? Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, it's um, there's definitely an upside to this and a really positive side, and there's been some... The, the exhibition features some really beautiful stories. We've got Bob and Merle James, who... Couple during the Second World War, uh, he was a soldier. He served in um, the Middle East at Tobruk and El Alamein, and uh, later in New Guinea. Um, she was a, a member of the Women's Australian Auxiliary Air Force. Mm-hmm. She's working in signals. Yeah, they're just a really glamorous couple. I mean, you, you can see a photo of them together, their wedding photo, and they just they look like movie stars. And we've got this beautiful collection of like all these little love tokens and so forth they they sent to each other mm. uh, while he was overseas and to me the most poignant thing is this you know big stack of letters that that Merle this correspondence that she had with a number of other boyfriends that were you know deployed overseas at the time right through it all they you know both had this little aspect of themselves you know that was separate and apart from <laughs> you know their relationship although they loved each other very much you know and once he did return and the war ended and they got married and they uh, lived you know a very long life together that's a really beautiful relationship but you know it's kind of tinged with this you know this bit of sweetness in that you know mm. a lot of the, these boyfriends that Mel had died mm. you know j- j- died on service and and so it's really kind of poignant that they had this life together they had children but if Bob was the one that didn't come back and one of these other chaps did, you know, then, mm. you know, the, the course of her life would have been completely different. And mm. another great story in the exhibition is that of Slim and Xanthula Wrigley. So Slim was an Australian prisoner of war captured in Greece in 1941. He managed to escape the prisoner of war camp uh, in Salonika where he was being held by the Germans. And he made his way south and was you know, wandered into a village uh, where there was an English-speaking uh, school teacher there called Yanis. And he took him in, put him in contact with the Greek resistance, the Antares, and Slim remained in Greece for a year or so fighting with the resistance and so forth. Right. In 1943, he escapes Greece, you know, eventually get, comes back to Australia. And in the mi- meantime, Yanis is captured by the Germans for his resistance activities and is, and is shot. And a year or two later, while Greece is undergoing all this turmoil with the Greek Civil War, uh, his daughter finds Slim's contacts, his address, and, you know, the family's in a desperate state. So she writes to him and said, oh, look, Slim, you know, my dad helped you during the war. Mm. You know, um, 
uh, he's dead now, we're, we're really suffering, is there anything to, that you can do to help us? And, you know, Slim is, remembers his, you know, his friend's beautiful daughter and, um, and, and he said, yeah, look, come to Australia and, you know, if you like me, if you like it here, we, we can get married and, <laughs> and, uh, and that's what happened. So, I mean, that's just an amazing story. It is. Um, yeah, and Xanthula's still with us, she's still alive. Slim died in the mid-90s, but um, yes, I mean, that's another wonderful story. It is. And, but um, how, do you, how do you find those stories, Neil? Xanthula is, is a long-time friend of mine now. I first mm-hmm. met her in 2011. She helped me with an exhibition I was doing then about Australians in Greece, Crete and Syria during the an exhibition I was doing about those campaigns. And uh, that was when I first uh, encountered Xanthula and her story. We've been friends ever since. So getting back to what we were talking about before, about you know if you're around long enough, you yeah you can you know leverage that into you know, other projects and other opportunities. So yeah. Now this whole project of lust, love, and loss. There's some other aspects to it. Now there's a a book by Peter Rees and Sue Langford called A Week in September. Yes. How does all of that relate back to your exhibition? A Week in September. Um, it, it, I mean, it's a it's a it's a great book about uh, an Australian POW on the Thai Burma Railway, and it's based on letters he wrote but couldn't post to his wife Marjorie at that time. That story doesn't feature in the exhibition, but you know when we learned about this book and we sort of saw how it could be a tie-in, you know, because it mm. shares so many of the same themes as 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 our exhibition. So there's this beautiful, you know, serendipity. You know, when we thought we were launching the exhibition a little earlier in the year, um, you know, we sort of planned that the launch and the, the of the book and the exhibition would, you know, sort of coincide together. Mm. But um, uh, that couldn't happen then. But we're rescheduling it for February. And so, as I, as I mentioned before, these are um, one of the opportunities that we have to cross-promote these projects and just give give everything a boost and get just get people thinking along these lines about these sorts of stories and about how important they are and how profound they are. Mm. Mm. And outside of this podcast, uh, Megan Spencer's also got a series as well. I understand she's talking with couples who talk about their wartime love as well. And this relates back again to your exhibition? Yeah, this is uh, probably a more direct uh, link uh, in the sense that we've commissioned Megan to do these podcasts for us, I mean, she's mm. she's done in the last in in recent times she's done many of these uh, for us, and they're always great. You know, she's she's just got a real sensitivity, love of this topic. You know, members of her her family were involved in the wars, and so she's really kind of passionate about it. And um, she and I have had a lot of discussions about it. You know, so she's picked out some really great subjects for her podcast, one of which is. One of whom is Julia Mitchell, whose husband served in Afghanistan in 2012-13 and right. again in 2017. And uh, Tanya Johnson, co-founder of the uh, Australian National Veterans Art Museum with her husband, uh, who's a veteran. So, but yeah, look, I, I would really encourage people to check in on our website um, when we post those up. And, and Megan is, will do a much better job of uh, bringing people through those stories than I can here now. Yeah, and as always, if anyone wants to head to the description of this episode at insidethegallery.com.au, we always post a link which you will find to the Shrine. I think it's shrine.org.au. That's correct, yes. And as Neil said, those podcasts will be available to download. This actually means there's a lot of facets to this exhibition. So there's your exhibition at the Shrine, there's the book, there's the podcasts. Mm-hmm. 
As a curator, do you have to consider all of those different aspects to this project when putting your exhibition together? Oh, well, certainly in the case of Megan, yes. You know, so she and I had and continue to have a lot of conversations about what it is we're trying to achieve with this exhibition and the sorts of exhibition that we want it to be. So that has involved sharing ideas, you know, sort of mm. um, about, you know, our own thoughts on this topic. And not just Megan, but as you said, all the other, you know, the designer, the graphic designers, the, the people producing uh, the signage, I mean, as well as Megan's podcast and as well as the objects I put up on the walls or in display cases mm. or, you know, the words I wrote on the brochure, and, and the captions that the captioning that accompanies the exhibition. So mm. um, even down to the paint colour, you know, we we arrived mm. at um, strong colours that we thought would encapsulate the themes of the exhibition. So it's so we've got like a sort of a, a warm pink against a, a a khaki, a dark military khaki, to sort of you know subliminally communicate the idea of the human meeting the military machine, if as it were. So yeah. So I guess these are all part of the ideas that communicate what I thought the exhibition should be to all of the people that have had a stake in it or all the people that have been involved in helping to create it and being open to hearing you know, what they thought, whether they thought something would work or whether it wouldn't. Or even in, you know, I made sure that the, the captions that I wrote were read by other members of the exhibition and collections team here at the Shrine. So mm. uh, just in case that, you know, I was putting a... Too much of a you know a middle class male bent on things at times because that's yeah, what I am. Yes, yes. Um, you know, yes. so um, make sure that uh, at all time we use you know gender neutral terms and when we talk about relationships rather than marriages and couples rather mm. than and men and women. And th the way that the exhibition has been conceived is that the themes are very broad and generalised, so that mm. they can apply to most if not all relationships you know fundamentally uh, and yeah. human experiences so that's that, that's really part of this unified vision that you you speak of and um and, and the importance of keeping that as a as a common goal that we're all working towards the inference that is when there is coverage of war is that it's a very masculine event even up to today it's a very masculine event however as we see in your exhibition the spouses or those in the relationship with those who go off to war are entirely affected as well seriously whether that be through the loss of a partner or through the infidelity of a partner or themselves that sort of thing and as you say when people come back home or get back together the relationship can be either totally destroyed or at least in most circumstances entirely changed and and of course i mean there's there's um especially in more recent times there's there's plenty of female service people as well so but but yeah definitely i mean and in the case of merle and bob who we were talking about before they're both service people mm. so mm. Uh, yeah i guess yeah true war is traditionally conceived as a as a, as a very male pursuit i suppose but I would really like people to take away from this exhibition is that the primal emotions of sexual attraction and love can have and have had as profound effect on the lives of human beings and Australians in wartime as had those equally primal drives of violence and hatred. You know, they're, they're two sides of a coin. You know, they're very powerful emotions 
war is often talked about as you know being a time that can, that brings out the best and the worst in human beings and and and, and I think you only have to pick up a newspaper to sort of see how destructive a, a love affair gone wrong or or, or yeah. you know a person consumed by their passions how that can be destructive as well so yeah, yeah. I, I think we're dealing with two sides of a coin and and um and there's a a beautiful slash terrible painting by Clifton Pugh on display called the Vietnam Body Counts. It's one of the paintings on loan from the War Memorial. And uh, I don't know if listeners are familiar with the work of uh, Clifton Pugh, one of Australia's truly great painters. It's a horrible image of mangled bodies and I guess he drew inspiration from like a My Lai type. I mean, it actually is, is the painting predates My Lai, the My Lai Massacre of the Vietnam War. But similar stories I guess and and uh, Pew himself actually had been a soldier in the Second World War and he he wrote later on of having killed Japanese prisoners of war and of having set up a brothel in um, in Japan while he was a, an occupying soldier there so so this is a guy who knew how these matters could manifest themselves in a very bad way in, mm. in, 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 mm. war, in warfare so but at the same time the painting, you know, there's a terrible beauty. It's, a, it's thought-provoking, and I hope that there are other elements in the exhibition that are equally thought-provoking and, and just introduce some of these ideas to people and so people can go away and read more and meditate on some of these ideas and, you know, maybe ask family members, you know, with experience of war uh, if they can relate to these these sorts of issues, and I'm sure they can, or they might even find it in old letters or diaries or of their parents or grandparents and so from that point of view all of these matters are just as important to military history as battles and troop movements and big men of history and, and all the rest so it's, it's an exhibition about ordinary people caught up in tumultuous events for ordinary people to think about and reflect on yeah how has it affected you neil in any way oh well some of those stories are very affecting and you know and and give you pause to to think and reflect and uh, perhaps be uh, saddened but uh, other times you know like you can actually take joy in you know when you you think of someone like Bob and Merle, James or Zan Thuler and Slim raising a family and um, building a life for themselves and coming through what must have been very traumatic times and just taking hope that you know whatever terrible things happen that you know people who survive uh, will be able to with support can can move forward and and build a lives for themselves and for their families and that that's something i guess i've taken away from it yeah and is that what you hope people will take away from your exhibition some of these stories are really great you know like mm. a lot of people going overseas and um you know in wartime and meeting people that have come to their countries who they never would have met otherwise and, and mm. having new worlds open for them and, and new opportunities mm. and there's some great stories in with in with the sad ones all right now just technically before we finish I understand this is the first of three exhibition in the Shrine's Identity Series. What what else is to come? Okay, so we've got an exhibition that we will be launching in April that's all about Indigenous Australians in service of the Australian Defence Force since the First World War to the present day. And then we've got an exhibition which is all about LGBTIQ plus people in the Australian Defence Force and, and that'll deal with the challenges they've faced over time and um, and the sorts of roles and contribution they've made. So 
Certainly some eye-opening stuff coming up, I think, Neil, and congratulations on getting those uh, exhibitions underway anyway, I think, and, and hopefully neither of them have been too hard to get across the line when it comes to your, your board and your trustees. No, not at all. I certainly hope that Lust, Love and Loss goes very well, and I thank you very much for your time on the podcast. Thank you, Tim. It's been a pleasure. That's Neil Sharkey, the curator of Lust, Love, Loss, Australian Stories of Wartime Relationships at the Shrine in Melbourne. You can get a bit of a taste of the exhibition at www.shrine.org.au. But of course, if you're in Melbourne or heading that way, the Shrine of Remembrance is located in the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne on Birdwood Avenue. You can't miss it. And please, of course, remain respectful during your visit. That's the podcast for now. Thanks for downloading and taking a listen. You can access the transcript of this episode at www.insidethegallery.com.au. And you'll also find links there to our Facebook and Instagram pages and a form to sign up to our mailing list if you want to. Until the next edition, I'm Tim Stackpool. Bye-bye for now. Listener.